the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. And this is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDio. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Manipal. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, part of the Batman Universe Network of Podcasts, hashtag TBU family. This is episode 142, and I am Dustin, and I am here with... This is Ed. And this is Stella. And we are bringing you the latest comic news and comic reviews from the weeks of August 3rd through August 16th. We have four books to cover, a little bit of news, including a new title that was announced. So let's just jump straight into news. What's going down? The very first thing we have is on August 7th, it was announced that November, uh, obviously as we have known throughout this entire year, DC has been doing a variant cover theme for every single month. And it appears, well not as, it is going to be for November, it's going to be Lego variant covers. So the interesting thing about this, other than, you know, the Lego characters prominently making their, their, you know, appearing on the covers is the number of comics, uh, the, the number of comics, it's a total of 22 different titles. Um, the, the, pretty much the majority of them are Batman related titles, including Detective Comics 36, Batman 36, Batman and Robin 36, Harley Quinn number 12, Batgirl number 36, Superman Batman number 16, Catwoman number 36, and Grayson number 4. What I find interesting about this is the fact that some of these titles, especially like Grayson, um, Catwoman, um, Batgirl, they really haven't been getting variant covers and it almost feels like with the new direction that's coming in October, they're being kind of thrusted into, uh, I, I don't know if it's popularity or, you know, DC's just anticipating them doing much better in sales. And that's why they're having the variant covers. But it's, I find it interesting that some of these, these, these series that haven't been getting any variant covers are suddenly getting them. Yeah. And, and I'm glad too, cause I think it's better than just having Batman detective and Batman and Robin get a variant cover every month. It's nice to see it kind of mixed up a little bit. Yeah. And they look like they're having a fun time, which is great. Um, but. You know, I wonder if a bunch of kids are going to buy these and then they'll open it up and then be super shocked by what's inside. But uh, I think that it'll certainly fit with some of the the lighter title, like Batgirl, since I feel like we're entering this new era. I'm, I, I feel like just the the look of little Lego Batgirl on there, which I'm actually surprised they look they used the new 52 design on the Batgirl one and not the uh, 60s this. 66 design or 60s design I should say uh because um that's the Batgirl that we see in the the Lego game so that's an interesting choice but it she looks like she's having fun and hopefully that reflects what's going on in the book well it's not something that uh, we would normally talk about but as for the Lego Batman game it is supposed to be coming out fall of this year which I would assume with the Lego variant covers, it's coming out sometime in November. That's, you know, that's just a wild guess there, but, cause they haven't released an actual release date yet. But it's funny you say the thing about the Batgirl because 
earlier this week they announced uh, they've revealed a bunch more things and a lot of the characters will have new 52 variant costumes that you'll be able to wear including Batgirl and some other characters that they've shown off as well so um they did show off Batman 66 Batgirl at San Diego but she's going to be in the game and I'm assuming various different costumes all right uh the next thing we've got is on August 8th we have a new interview with uh, from DC All Access, this time is with Brian Buccioletto, and he discussed his current run on Detective Comics and what's in store for the current months. So you can check that out over on the website. Also on August 8th, uh, the cover for Batman Earth 1 was revealed by Nerdist. Um, they posted the not only the cover, but they also co- posted what it looked like before it was colored and finalized as a cover. Um, the cover clearly focuses on, obviously, Batman, but also... It appears Commissioner Gordon, Killer Croc, uh, there's signs of the Riddler, as we know, is going to appear. Um, there's two characters. Uh, you can't really tell specifically who they are. Um, it, one seems to be Alfred, and the other one is a girl with long hair, but we can't tell what color hair by the picture. Um, so my guess is, for the girl, I'm going to say it could possibly be Barbara Gordon, most likely. Just because I feel like with Earth One they're doing things differently, so I think she could possibly be older. Yeah, I think you're probably right there. I can't really think of anybody else that would deserve an Earth One treatment. Yeah, I mean, who better to to complete that image but her father? And we had already sort of, or Jeff Johns had already been sowing the seeds. I think for her, I mean, we saw her at the end. We saw her dotted throughout the the initial story, and then at the end she was sketching things. So, so I feel like it, it'd be the logical conclusion that it is, in fact, Babs. Then the next bit of news we have comes on August 12th. There was a new title announced that's going to be coming out in November. It's called Gotham by Midnight. Now, this is a series that's going to deal with some of the supernatural elements. Now, before I get started, I I just want to point out that we've had other books in the past that have dealt with some of the more supernatural elements within Gotham City, and they tend not to be very successful. Um, going back, way back to 2008, when I first started doing the podcasts, uh, with the Batman universe, there was a title called Simon Dark. And I, a lot of people probably have, have very little knowledge of this character. It lasted for roughly, I believe, like 14, 16 issues at the most. Um, and it was this character who was within Gotham. Batman kind of sanctioned him to deal with some of the more supernatural stuff. And that was that. It didn't last. Steve Niles, I believe, was the writer on the series at the time. Um, that didn't last. Then we had, um, at, for a time, there was the Azrael, the newer Azrael series, which dealt with uh, Azrael dealing with some of the more supernatural elements. Uh, and then there was the, I can't, remember the title off the top of my head, but there was this big story that was focused on Ragman. I believe it was in Streets of Gotham, if I remember correctly. Uh, Ragman was dealing with a lot of the supernatural elements within Gotham. Um, this was right around the time of Bruce Wayne wasn't around, and I believe Dick Grayson was Batman. Bruce Wayne was lost in time. And that book didn't, I mean, the story kind of, I think, got away from that. Uh, there was also another story uh, focusing on Jane Doe. I think this was also in Streets of Gotham. 
that kind of delved into a little bit of the spiritual stuff. But the thing is, it tends to be kind of questionable. Uh, when we look at some of the stuff that's ha- happened more recently in the pages of Batman Eternal, uh, the supernatural stuff with Spectre and Batwing and um, the stuff that's happening in Arkham Asylum, we don't know where, exactly what direction is going. We all thought that, you know, Arkham Asylum having all these issues was going to eventually lead into this Arkham Manor story that we have coming in October. But DC announced that they are having a new title called Gotham by Midnight. It's a darker title from Ray Fox, who happens to be the current writer of the supernatural stuff in Eternal. And the artist is Ben Templesmith. Uh, the new series will essentially be a spin-off focusing, uh, a spin-off of Batman Eternal focused on Jim Corrigan and the supernatural side of Gotham City. Corrigan's team up within the pages of Batwing will result in Corrigan becoming a part of the GCPD's Midnight Shift, investigating supernatural occurrences alongside Detective Lisa Drake, forensic specialist Dr. Zandar Tor, and a religions consultant named Sister Justine. Uh, so we have some picture, well, we have the cover art for the first issue up on the website. We also have some concept art from Ben Templesmith of Batman, uh, Jim Corrigan, and this Lisa Drake character. Um, I read an interview talking about some of these characters. You know, it's, it really just seems like they're trying to, you know, again, go outside the box. The cover also, uh, features a couple of other characters, but, Jim Corrigan's kind of like the main character of this series. Batman is in it, but the idea is that it's supposed to be a a mixture of classic horror story similar to what they've kind of done with Constantine and a police detective series. So that's coming out. The first issue will release on November 26th. Um, Now, the one thing that I didn't happen to see in any interviews, but maybe I'm just missing something completely, is... Do you think it's a coincidence that this character named Detective Lisa Drake has the same last name as Tim Drake? Because I feel like that's way too much of a coincidence, and nobody seemed to ask anything about that. I, the only that, thing I saw was somebody mentioned, it's Lisa Drake like you've never seen before, like I was supposed to know who this person is. Yeah, uh, it, this will be Lisa Drake, I think, as we've never seen her before, because I don't remember ever seeing her before. So I guess that's... That part of it. Um, I mean, again, I, I don't believe in coincidence on that level, considering when you're writing a comic book, if you didn't want a character to be related somehow, even if it's a distant cousin twice removed, you just use a different last name, right? I mean, so I, I would I would have to believe that there's some type of connection there, or maybe they'll want us to believe there's a connection there, but there has to be a reason to choose the name. And and Drake, I mean, just remind me, because I remember when Josh uh, and I got into it, is that the after he went through witness protection that Drake is the last name or did he turn down witness protection and that's the actual family name? I just can't remember from zero year way back when. I honestly can't remember either. Okay. I try to put a lot of so much of that stuff out of, you know, my <laughs> mind where I don't confuse it. Yeah. So I would just I, you know, just sticking with the idea of his name is Tim Drake, regardless of, I mean, even if it, I mean, one way or the other, if it's his original name and he changed it to something else, um, I mean, obviously we know it's not Adam Naper, but you know, mm-hmm. the, uh, if, if he changed his name to something else, it doesn't make any sense why they still call him Tim Drake. Or if it's, if it's, that is his new name, 
it also seems if that's supposed to be his witness protection name, okay, fine, but it still seems a little odd to, you know, somehow be the same name as this other character. I don't know. One way or the other, it just seems too much of a coincidence. Well, you think they'd have him connected on some level, otherwise, why do it at all, right? All right, so then the other bit of news we have outside of that new series is there was an episode, a new episode of DC All Access that talked about Gotham by Midnight. You can check that out on the website, and we also have another DC All Access talking with Scott Snyder about wrapping up Batman Zero Year and what's ahead for the title, speaking specifically about Endgame, but not very much. Now, the last thing we've got is there was an image that was posted on Twitter um, by Greg Capullo, Scott Snyder retweeted it out. It's a picture of Batman standing on what appears to be a pile of garbage or junk or demolished something alongside two characters, Bluebird and Lark. Now, if you didn't see us when we retweeted it on Twitter, but if it, when you're looking at this, I, I, I kind of want to talk about this one because Bluebird and Lark are a character that Snyder hinted at way back when he did his story in Detective Comics number 27. Bluebird, we then saw about a month and a half, two months later, when Batman number 28 came out and they skipped ahead and we saw that Harper Row was going to become Bluebird. Um, there was all kinds of, you know, con- uh, there was all kinds of problems with fans with her having guns, even if they were EMP or electrical taser guns or whatever. Um, but this cover clearly has Batman holding some sort of giant gun. Um, whether it is some sort of electrical gun or something else, I mean, at least by the appearance, now, th- now keep in mind, this is a very rough image. It's not inked. It's not colored. It's just pencils. So you can't see all the detail of it. It's actually really cool just to see some pencil for some art that's going to appear just so you can see how much the inking and the coloring changes the image itself and how much more detail it gives to the image. But what I wanted to talk about is the fact that, you know, we knew Bluebird and Lark. We were introduced to Bluebird before. If the initial idea was before they did, they, they came up with the plan to do Batman 28, you know, that she wasn't going to pop up until Batman Endgame anyway, that would explain why Lark is. But let's talk about these two characters. Obviously, we, we know Bluebird is Harper Row, but the question, I guess, of the day is, who is Lark? Well, I think that the first guess, and, I, and again, there's a lot of, lot of reasons why this doesn't make sense, but unfortunately, I don't, I don't know of anybody else would be Colin, which is, uh, Harper's brother. Cause he's the only person I can think of that would, that it doesn't have a costume assigned to him already that would be in on this. Um, yeah. I mean, and I said in off TV recording land that he's got to learn how to defend himself first because right now Harper has been the one really taking care of him, but I wonder if, because he's been infected with the nanobots that, um, pig sort of had set up, if this, like, if he gets out of it okay and it, it just has this complete transformation of the character. So maybe, like, we were talking about that vehicle, like, is it one, <laughs> is it one wheel? But I wonder if some of this tech that he has is an extension of himself, if it is in fact Cullen. But I do agree that that is kind of the logical except for me that it's um, it's her brother because I feel like we're not going to take anybody else off the sidelines like a, a, 
a character that's already well known as a Robin or Jason Todd or something and put him in here. So I'm also going to go with that. And I think that the nanobot stuff, if he survives it, is going to lend itself pretty well to what's going on here. And the other thing, too, is as far as we're into Eternal as we are now, um, and even Batman, I don't think they can introduce any more characters. Like, there's already so many that they need to kind of back off and introduce any new character for a while. So I think it would have to be someone we already know. Yeah, I would agree. It also seems, I mean, we know that this is supposed to take place at the end of, you know, Endgame. Batman Endgame is taking place at the end of Eternal. That being said, I have a hard time believing that any new character that we have never seen before is going to get brought in and say, yes, we're going to make you a superhero or, you know, a sidekick or an ally of Batman and you haven't been introduced before, you know, six months before the series ends. It just seems, it seems like it'd be a little too quick. Um, but then again, who knows? The other thing to talk about is, I've seen this, I've seen talk about this online. I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on it. It appears from the picture, at least the way the, the pencils are, is that Batman does not have a hand on his left arm. Um, now, we talked about this a little briefly before we started recording, and Stella said maybe it's just the perspective of it's supposed to be a closed fist. Yeah, clenched hand. The only catch is I was thinking about your comments, and there's no, there's no, there's no gauntlets coming, you know, the, the, the pointy things that come off as gauntlets, they're not there. I assume mm-hmm. if it was a fist, you'd see those in some point, especially since we see them on the other hand. There would at least be a marker or something for them. So what do you think about Batman possibly not having a left hand? Well, I will say this. I think it's probably I, – I have a tendency to agree with Stella here. I think it's probably perspective and the fact that, the, that this is an unfinished piece of art, right? Um, and this could be not even the last draft for all we know, but – if we went down the road that he's missing a hand, that might explain for the fact why he's holding a gun. I mean, if you're missing a hand, you may go to uh, have to go to a little more extreme measures. And and you know that just leads me back to my original like thing that I made several months ago. Just that I I don't think this is Bruce Wayne. His body build really uh, looks like Bruce Wayne, but I think even without a hand, Bruce Wayne would never have a gun. And look at Harper Rowe also wielding a gun and pulling for another one behind her back. And I just feel like it's it's somebody else. I just don't think it's Bruce Wayne. But if he didn't have a hand, I mean, you know, I think that would be fine. It'd be weird, obviously, to see Batman without a hand. But, um, you know, I, I think it'd be an interesting take on the character. And, and I don't know if we've ever seen him with too much of a disability except for his broken back, which was pretty debilitating. Um, so it'd be interesting just to see, you know, what is it like? I, I just read Oracle Year One, Born of Hope from Batman Chronicles number five. And, and just to see that sequence where she's struggling to get in the car for the first time without the use of her legs, I mean, it'd be interesting to follow his journey if we ever came to that, um, of what's it like to be without one hand. And maybe it would change his character. But it would have to happen after the flash forward in whatever Batman issue that was. Cause he had two hands then, right? Yeah. Yeah. And but also I, at the beginning of the, uh, well, plus, in, in, uh, the beginning of eternal, when they showed that like flash forward of him, like tied up, he still has both hands too. So it happened. It would have to, if it was going to happen it'd have to happen either right during the end of eternal 
or right after Eternal. All right, so with that, that is all the news. Be sure to check out all the news over on the brand new website. Uh, with that, we're going to jump straight into our comic reviews, and the very first one we have is Batman number 34. Let me worry about that. Batman number 34, uh, written by Scott Snyder, uh, art by Matteo Scalara. Uh, Mr. Capullo had taken the month off. How do you uh, know? I, I know. It's just it's no work ethic there, right? <laughs> No, he'll hear that and hate us. Uh, summary, uh, this story opens up with the, uh, the abduction and murder of an unnamed female, uh, right in the first, first page, uh, before we cut to the Bat Cave and to Batman contacting, uh, Dr. Leslie Tompkins and warning her that a killer may be active in her neighborhood and that she needs to warn her patients. Uh, we then see a man who is working as a gravedigger at the Gotham Potter's Yard, which is where, like, the unclaimed and the, the poor are buried. Um, after he digs the grave for someone, he, he puts their coffin in and then goes back to his truck and retrieves the body of the victim from the first page of the story and throws her into the, to the grave on top of the coffin uh, and then buries them both uh, underground. Batman is then shown uh, contemplating all the crazy stuff that's been going on in the city, including the disappearance of the Joker and all the events of Eternal that are currently going on, but vows that he could still stop one killer in his city. Um, we didn't see our killer claim another victim. Um, Batman comes along and finds the dog of this victim, who starts following the trail of the killer, and Batman follows the dog. Uh, we then see uh, a patient of Dr. Tompkins uh, receiving a phone call of, uh, from her, warning him that the killer has been you know, in the area and targeting possible patients of hers. Um, we then see that the killer is actually listening to this whole conversation in the dark uh, before killing the man that, that Dr. Tompkins uh, was warning. Uh, Batman arrives on the scene and finds the crime scene and the confirmation that the killer is targeting Dr. Tompkins' patients with uh, some prescriptions that we see that was wrote by by her. Uh, we then see Dr. Dr. Tompkins uh, working in her office some more and calling more people when the killer attacks her and lets her know that he can't have her warning any more of the victims. Uh, however, Dr. Tompkins turns the, the scales on her him pretty quick, and it turns out that it's Batman in an EMP mask, and he makes quick work of the killer. Uh, we then see a uh, little scene where Batman tells Dr. Tompkins that it's over, and he believed the man was killing uh, the people because she was treating them with dignity and that for some reason the killer finds that offensive. Uh, we then cut to Arkham, where we see Batman putting the killer into the Joker cell. Uh, the killer becomes totally en- enraged because he realizes that you know, he wanted all of his victims to be forgotten, and he knows that any man who gets put in Joker cell you know, will become famous, and that the, the, both the victims and him won't be forgotten. Uh, the Batman, the killer pleads with Batman and offers him the location of the victim's bodies if he will move him to a more nondescript cell. But Batman says he already knows about the location of the bodies in the Potter's Field from the mud on his truck. We didn't see Batman meeting with Bullock in the Potter's Cemetery. Uh, neither the GCPD or Batman have been really able to find out much about the killer other than he was hired, hired a couple of years ago at this, uh, at this graveyard. So this could have been going on for quite some time. Um, Bullock urges Batman to move on before they start to exhume the old graveyard and figure out how many victims there were. Uh, but Batman declines and says he needs to see what happens. First question I have for everyone here is this story appears, appears to be uh, a one-off story with a one-off villain. Um, and nothing that's going to have a big continuity moment. Um, does, does something like this that is kind of an established one issue story with a one-off villain, have less or more of an impact on you? Do you like these one-off stories, or, or do you prefer the larger, more continuity-driven things that will have larger ramifications for the universe down the line? Here's the thing. I love 
you know, continuity changing stories, but it is nice to have one-off issues every once in a while. Um, Snyder is, I mean, I know this story was most, it was written by, it, the story was conceived by Gary Duggan and Scott Snyder, but the story was written by Gary Duggan. And I think the thing is from Snyder, you can almost always bank on him coming up with these massive, really, really long story arcs. But when you see him kind of flexes his, you know, his abilities when he is doing these smaller stories, I think it's kind of interesting. I don't know how much input Snyder had. That's the only question because a lot of times I think, and this is nothing against Snyder, but I think that DC gives him more credit in, in, for some things than others. You know, Snyder could have said, you know, could have gone to a group of the group of writers that he works with and says, Hey, listen, um, I'm looking for someone to come up with something for the f- last issue before Future's End, before I kicked off Endgame. Pitch me some ideas. Somebody pitches him some ideas, and then he kind of gives his little two cents to put in. That's what I feel like could happen. But for some reason, he gets the top credit line on the issue when the on the front cover whenever an issue comes out that includes Eternal, even though Snyder has said multiple times that Tinian's really the, the real mastermind behind it. He's there, you know, as assistant, but he's getting all, you know, he's getting a lot of the credit as well. So I think that's, that's what is happening when it comes to these issues, mostly because even when I was looking through some of the stuff online, there was no talk about Snyder. You know, he really wasn't referencing this story that much other than just, you know, check it out. He wasn't taking any credit for it. He was giving the credit to Duggan. So I think that's, that's what it is. Um, as far as the one-off issues, I'm fine with them. You know, if it can tell a good story in an issue, I think that's great because nowadays it seems like a lot of stories have to tell a really long story to get their story across. And that wasn't always the case. It used to be you could have one or two issues and you could tell a really good story. Nowadays, it seems like you need three or four or in some cases, you know, 10 to 12, depending on the the massiveness of the story. So I think it's nice to see a story that can be self-contained in one issue, still deal with events within Gotham, still take place at the same time everything else is, reference things that are happening at the same time, things like that. I think it's nice. I don't like one shots as well, unless it's already a pre-established character. Like, I feel like we've had one with uh, Clayface before, like Clayface and Ivy. And, of course, it was tying into a larger story, um, but I think it was just them, and then it went off on something else, and it came back to them later on in the story, maybe in Detective. And it's easier to get into that because you already know the characters and you don't have to, you know, play... Uh, catch up with that or, or much exposition you can just focus on the story and it can be a really powerful story for this one you're you're introducing i i would like to say you're introducing uh leslie Tompkins to a certain extent because we haven't really seen her that much um and you're also introducing this bad guy and it seems just so quickly with how i mean he kills batman's already on it for some reason and um y- you find the killer right away he's out in the open and then he's caught and it's all over so i almost wonder if it was more like let's bring leslie tompkins more to the fold it was more of uh, a point for that and 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 could there have been a better way to do that? And what's really jarring for me about this issue is that we went off of a year-long story 
and we have one issue and I can only imagine we're about to go into like a six month story or more. Uh, so it's just, it's weird. It, it just, it feels weird for this sort of book. And, um, it was just so quick and, you know, I, I think there are some one shots that are really great. And, and this one, it was, it was okay, but, um, <laughs> it just felt very strange. Um, Sometimes I, I, I like these. And what's funny is that, you, Dustin, you brought up the, the writer. If you go to the, the, the DC Comics website, and this, and I think, you, and I, and again, I, I'm with Dustin on this. I don't want anyone to think that Scott Snyder seems to be taking credit for stuff because it doesn't, it seems to be not him at all. Yeah, it seems like it's DC trying to just, you know, put the product out there with his name on it. But if you go to like the official page for D- Batman number 34 on DC Comics website, it says written by Scott Snyder. It doesn't yeah. even list him. I mean, which is, I mean, this was, I think it was his talent too, where Scott Snyder brought this up, right? Where he was like, listen, I just kind of talked to James Tenyon about it one afternoon and they put me as a story, you know? Yep. Uh, um, so I, yeah, it, it is weird because it, they don't even mention the other writer, which I think is, is bizarre. Um, but as far as the one-off ones, um, sometimes I can really enjoy them. And this one I really did like. Um, it was nice to have a story where I could just start it and end it. Not that I would want all stories to be like this because I don't, I don't. I really like the longer stories, but. It was nice to kind of have this big, you know, circular, um, story. And, and, the, having Dr. Tompkins in it was nice. It does kind of jarring considering what we, if you guys would Grayson, and I know you guys did that she's not, was somewhere else, but that's kind of normal in comics. So that doesn't really bother me that much. Um, and then the other thing was this, the kind of the central theme of the story, um, is that the Batman has become so involved in like the larger event type crime of Eternal for lack of a better word, that he's become kind of disconnected or disassociated from everyday street crime, robbings, everyday murders that don't involve the Joker, the Two-Face, blah, 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 blah. So the question is, does that argument hold any water? Has Batman become alienated from regular street crime and helping the people of Gotham and only preoccupied with dealing with, quote-unquote, supervillains? I don't know. It it seems like, well, I guess in some ways it feels like there should be somebody else of the Batman family who's dealing with you know, the more street level stuff and Batman should be dealing with the larger villains, but I can understand the idea, you know, behind it. You know, I think it makes perfect sense. Batman probably isn't thinking of, you know, the general, you know, serial killers and, you know, purse muggers and things like that that are on the street. I mean, okay. I don't want to, I just want to clarify. I don't, I'm not categorizing purse muggers and serial killers in the same thing. I just want to clarify that. But at the same time, I feel like, yeah, Batman probably doesn't have that kind of stuff on his radar because there is a lot larger things at play with everything. So that probably is the case. But I think that there maybe there should be somebody who's doing, doing something like that. It also seems odd that the police wouldn't have noticed any of this. I mean, I understand the idea of, okay, these people are you know, they're the riffraff of Gotham in, in some ways. And, you know, they're not necessarily the people that have people looking out for them or noticing that they're missing and things like that. And that, that, that's fine. I mean, honestly, if you're a serial killer, those would be your prime people to go after because nobody's going to ever notice it. But at the same time, it feels like there should be somebody who's noticing, even if it's, I mean, like to a degree, Leslie Tompkins, because somehow if people, she did state, Yes, there's people who are missing, you know, but that's not uncommon because they don't always, they're not always very regular. I get it, but in some ways it just feels like somebody should have noticed it, you know, not Batman months and months later, so. Years later. Yeah. Um, 
I'm okay with him doing some street level stuff because, I mean, before he was fighting all these big A-list uh, characters, he or you know A through C, he was really just wanting to clean up the streets, and I think that gets back to the heart of, of Batman. And I think after a while, you could potentially get very fatigued with um, well-known villains. And, or, you know, new villains, just villains in general. And, and, and I think it's nice to be able to just hit like a regular Joe or maybe like a, a mob boss or gangster and stuff. And, and I think the opposite is true because when you can do, if you do so much of that, then you want to see somebody with a villain because for a while they had, I mean, the only, named villains they were really giving Barbara Gordon in the Bronze Age was like Cavalier and Killer Moth, which, you know, I love me some Killer Moth. But after that, it was all like street-level gangs, and you sort of wonder, like, when is she going to graduate up? So I I think it can go either way, but I'm fine with him really getting back to the roots of the character and and seeing that again, I think it's refreshing. Yeah, I kind of like the argument in this book, too, that that is put forward, which is he's he's really let his eye off off the ball. I do think that the idea that maybe um, a Harper Road type character, a newer member of the Bat family, should maybe be assigned to some basic patrol duties would would make some sense. But I think at the end of the day, this this kind of uh, serial killer who's put this many people on the ground becomes a, a type of a worthy adversary for him. Um, so I guess I'm okay with with it. But I do think it makes an interesting argument, which is, you know, what at what level is is he responsible to the people of Gotham more than he is fighting supervillains? So. I do think the piece works um, on that level of having that argument. That's all I got. I, I do want to bring up one small thing that I, I, I was thinking about when I was reading this. Very small. Batman takes this person to Arkham Asylum, locks him up in Joker's cell. At some point during this, in in the course of the comic, we find out that this is, in fact, taking place in the middle of everything that's happening in Batman Eternal. My question, and, and, and I know this, this, I, I want to be as brief as possible with this question, but my question is, Batman goes into Arkham Asylum and doesn't notice anything's wrong, actually name drops, I believe, Batwing and Spectre and says, oh, they, they've, they've been taking care of what's been happening at Arkham Asylum. Yeah. But when he goes there and brings them in, it seemed like, okay, everything's hunky-dory in, in, in Arkham Asylum, so there was no problem there. Just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on that, because to me, that seems like a glaring, you know, timeline issue with what's going on in Eternal and what's happening here. Yeah, I certainly agree, and that was something, I'm glad you picked it up, because I was thinking yesterday I want to talk about this, but I completely forgot until you brought it up. Yeah, because when I read it, it made it seem like all that stuff had passed, and then I had to go back into the eternal issue, because I thought I was misremembering what had happened, and they're still in the thick of things. And so, it's also a little spoiler, like, well, guess what, guys, they make it out okay. But, uh yeah, I think it would have been... Well, how else, honestly, though, if you think about the opposite end, how else would he have gone into Arkham not worried about anything except, you know, let's, I gotta put this guy in, in, in Joker's cage? Because if that had been going on still, then he would have had to do something. So perhaps this was just a way for the writers to not be involved with the stuff that was going on in eternal and just say that, well, everything with that is after, so he's not going to go down to help them. So maybe it was the only way to write themselves out and protect themselves from getting in deep or too deep. 
Well, I think that the issue too is when you start having all these grand overlapping storylines, this kind of stuff is, is totally unavoidable. The other reading issue that you have, and I'm just going to touch this super fast, Dustin, is if we, you read these in a stack like I did this morning, again, you read this one where you, where him and Harvey Bullock are almost consoling each other, then you have detective comics where they have a totally yeah. different relationship. So yeah. I think that, you know, the problem is when you have, when you're forcing these characters in roles where you must use Bullock, where you must use, must use, must use because of Eternal, I think these kind of, um, continuity errors are almost unavoidable. Now it's, it's, it sucks, but I don't think there's any other way to, there's just too much going on for all the stuff to be wrote properly. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest problem. The, the biggest problem is there's just, there's a lot of stuff happening in, in Batman Eternal, in the events of everything that's going on within the Batman universe. So it is hard to keep up, especially since, you know, was this necessarily a story that was planned to release exactly during this time frame? Was this possibly another issue that was meant to be maybe a possible fill-in if, uh, if Capullo fell behind before the end of Batman Zero Year or maybe Zero Year could have happened in August. The end of zero year could have happened in August and this could have happened two months ago. I mean, who knows? Who knows what the original idea was when they came up with the idea for this? It could have been, Hey, I've got this awesome story that fits in because the thing is also, I mean, if you look at the, the stuff that's happening in eternal, Batman doesn't really seem like he can just drop everything to, you know, to, to solve one, one small crime is as, as great of an impact it is. So to me, I just, I thought it was, I thought it was uh, a weird timing thing, but then again, I'm not going to, you know, blame, you know, Duggan for writing it because we don't necessarily know when it was meant to fit into the timeline. You could also put it back to the point before Spectre and, and Batwing even got into Arkham and then, then it, it's, it works perfectly during that time frame because there's not very many actual, there's not very many actual links to the specific time of when it would happen eternal. We know it happens during eternal due to the references, but they're not references that are specific to the point of it's during this specific time frame. So I think that that part of it makes a little bit more sense. Maybe initially this was an idea that was, that was had to be Batman number 28 instead of, the story, uh, you know, the story that we got in Batman 28. Who knows? Maybe they, everything just got adjusted because Snyder was decided he wanted to do, you know, this this issue, kind of hinting at some of the stuff that was happening in Eternal. We have no idea when this was written, what the initial plan was, how much Duggan actually knew was going to happen to up to the time point when the issue was going to arrive. I just thought it was interesting to note the thing about Arkham Asylum because. Uh, our faithful Corbin Poole, who reviewed it over on the website, gave a mention to, Cor- uh, gave a mention about the Arkham Asylum thing as well, and said, you know, well, why wouldn't Batman just save Batwing and Spectre, who are in the basement of Arkham Asylum at this point? So, I just thought I'd mention it. Anyway, uh, Batman number 34, I like this. I'm gonna give it four out of five batteries. I am gonna give it four and a half out of five. I thought that there is some continuity problems, but the actual story itself was really, really good. I'm going to give it 3.5 out of 5. I just think it went, you know, so quickly. I think it would have been a nice, like, two-shot and just have more detective aspects with it. But it was just there and so out in the open with the bad guy and then just wrapped up so quickly that I was slightly sad. All right. And over on the website, Corbin gave it 4 out of 5. So that's going to give Batman number 34 a total of 4 out of 5 better ranks. Let's move into our next book, Detective Comics number 34. 
Detective Comics number 34, Icarus Conclusion. Storytellers Francis Manipool and Brian Bucciolato and letterer Steve Wands. Editor Hotel Room Annie Aguila has been given the opportunity to take revenge against Johnny Loman for the murder of her mother. Overcome by emotion, she, well, she pulls the trigger. And she does feel bad about it later, I should say. At the abandoned Kane Laboratories plant, Batman and Harvey Bullock are distracted from their fistfight by the sound of an explosion from the East End waterfront. Both men are upset with themselves for falling victim to the detective's curse of missing the answer right under their noses. They had got so caught up in the how rather than the why following the evidence, and Batman admits that they will both have to deal with the consequences of their mistakes. And he has uh, Harvey mobilize the GCPD while he heads to the explosion site. On the scene, Harvey learns from Detective Yip that a body count may be hard to come up with given how many displaced people have been living in the nearby tenements. She warns that the radiation levels are too dangerous to investigate further without a hazmat suit. He insists that he has to do something. Even if he has nothing to prove, he still needs to know that the police can do things better than the Batman can. As Batman prepares to go out in his own special hazmat bat suit, the Kings of the Sun abandon Annie to seek out their merchandise in the blast zone. Holter, her father, catches up first, locating the man who caused the explosion and explaining that everything the biker gang has done was for this man's benefit. The fact that Icarus is derived from the toxic waste his body produced is circumstantial. Batman arrives, attacking Holter and his goons. He condemns them for killing hundreds of people with their drugs and the explosion. He explains that he knows Holter put Johnny up to killing Elena, the mother of Annie, of course. And Holter responds that um, Elena took his own daughter away from him. And Batman reminds him that a real father would put his child's needs over his own. And all Holter did was destroy Annie's life. Uh, but suddenly, um, <laughs> a day's ex machima comes out of the water in the form of a giant squid named Gertrude <laughs> and grabs Holter up from the sunken section of the city and drags him underwater. Batman dives in after both of them, but one of its massive tentacles knocks him unconscious. But luckily for us, we've got Harvey Bullock, who's awesome. And <laughs> he pulls Batman's cape and drags him to the surface. And Batman regains consciousness, but he's locked into a pair of handcuffs by Harvey Bullock. And Harvey is gloating uh, and looks down and notices that Batman has escaped. I don't know how that happens, but it does, I guess. Afterwards, Bruce meets with Annie at a bar outside the city where she admits that he's been cleared of all suspicion of the murder of her mother. He offers his sympathies and help, but she rejects it, claiming that everyone around him ends up dead. Bruce Wayne is toxic. He had the money to save the waterfront alone before her mother pushed him to it, and believing in him costs Elena her life. As far as she's concerned, her mother was right that Gotham shows people what they're capable of, and that scares her. This guy clears outside Gotham, and Annie rides away wearing a... A, a son's jacket, by the way. I think that's symbolism right there. Harvey Bullock, meanwhile, continues his search for the missing crate of Icarus with Maggie Yip's help, though he's a bit of a jerk to her when she offered to help him. And uh, he realizes he may be pushing her away, even though he cares about her. Next up uh, is five years later, Batman and the Red Ore invade Arkham and Future's End, and you see... Um, 
Harvey opening a door and, and his cigar is lighting up um, the anarchy symbol. So, yeah. So this is over, this story. And how do you think this I – mean, this is the first story for Manipul and Buccellato. And what do you think about it overall? And do you think it was wrapped up well? I think it, for the most part it was wrapped up okay. I mean, I think there's things that they did in this story arc that's going to – you know, carry on through their run. I think we haven't seen the last of Annie, even if she is driving off into the sunrise. I don't think we've seen the last of her. Um, I think that she's going to play a bigger role. A lot of that also has to do with the fact that I've seen interviews and, and read interviews with Buccioletto and he has said the same thing. But I feel like there's things that there, there's other things such as, you know, there, obviously there's the hint about anarchy. There's things that they are leading up to in the future. So I think for the most part, you know, the idea of the Icarus, they wrapped it up pretty well. I mean, the fact that it was all, it all came from this guy who had to be hooked up to machines. They happened to be getting the drugs from this guy. That was a little crazy outside the box, not what you would typically see in something that is related to a detective story. Uh, that's more of like the, you know, fantastical side of Batman. But, you know, at the same point, you know, fine. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and, you know, complain about that. I think the, probably the most interesting thing was like probably the, the entire, interaction between Harvey and Batman throughout the story arc was probably one of the more interesting things, if not the most interesting thing about the individual story. So I'm, I'm glad that, you know, we've seen a lot of development with Harvey Bullock. We've seen, you know, the relationship between Batman and Harvey, even if it wasn't happening during eternal, I still feel like there'd be some sort of friction between them. So I think it's really nice to see, you know, Harvey getting more of a spotlight. I think it's nice. I really like this story arc a lot. Um, all the stuff that Dustin said about Harvey, I, I agree with. And I think that this is a time where you, you almost have to use Harvey because with Jim Gordon locked up, you know, he, he's the obvious choice to kind of liaison here. Um, there is a lot of building here. I know that we won't be getting back to the anarchy stuff for quite some time, um, but it's something that I'm looking forward to. I, I think we have some other smaller plots here with, with, with maybe the congressman and some of this other stuff that I think we will see again. Uh, and I know that they've said that Annie's coming back and it will be interesting because I think you would normally tab Annie as a potential sidekick or, or good person, good guy type deal, but she did just shoot someone in the head, you know? Um, and even though the, the person was kind of a scumbag who deserved it, um, I do think that that would be something that, that Batman would have some serious issues with moving forward. And I would be remiss to not mention that after this first story arc that I really thought that the art in this arc was really, really good. So if we can see, keep having this level of, of content with that level of art, I'll be very happy with this title for, for a while to come. Yeah, I agree. I really liked how it all turned out. I, I think it was um, a well-rounded story. And it's interesting if you think about how it all started off with the squid and, and his pet and everything and then just – transforming into the the kings of the sun and and uh just a bigger focus on annie it it made really great um transitions and um nice little mystery and yeah my second question was actually about annie so i'll come up with something but i'm slightly concerned just about the future of her character with how what she's going to choose because one of my questions to i interviewed um 
Buccellato when I was there at San Diego. And one of my questions to him was, um, just what we can expect from the character. Because if you think about it, she was really between, I mean, she found this father and then who potentially like delivered her something that she may have wanted, just like this vengeance against somebody. Cause that one issue, she was really like searching throughout. Remember she was a renegade and running around trying to find information. And then you've got Batman and Bruce Wayne on the other hand, trying to lead her down a good path. And this issue, she made a, a bad decision and in the moment, I think, you know, she thought it was going to absolve everything and all the feelings very much like a, a younger Bruce Wayne, I think, um, or Dick Grayson for that matter. Just, you know, if I get rid of this person, I'm going to feel better. And then you can see how wrecked with guilt she is after that. And um, so she made a mistake and I think she realizes that. But the fact that she has a, a Kings of the Sun jacket on as she's riding away concerns me that she potentially would go more down her father's path than perhaps a better influence like Batman. And, um, and I'm also wondering if she'll ever find out the fact that her father was the one that had her mother killed. Um, because that's something that I think would really change her character. So I do wonder, yeah, what the future of her character is. And, um, Buccellato said, you know, maybe the Bat family, she might not have a huge impact, but, um, for DC overall, like she'll, she'll be back. So I'm glad to see that. Um, yeah, I'm, so we made leaps and bounds. I guess I'll talk about Harvey, who's like one of my favorite characters currently. This is great. Uh, we made leaps and bounds with this character. Do you think if Jim Gordon comes back, I mean, do you think this will shift the way that we see Harvey? Do you think he'll keep his position? Or do you think that we will have built him up so much that, uh, Jim Gordon will be back, but we'll, we'll still be able to, to see Harvey, so. I mean, what would you like to see? Would you like to see him stay this way? Or would you like to, after a focus for a year while Eternal is going on, are you ready for less Harvey and then back to Jim Gordon? I think more Harvey can never be a bad thing. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, like, I love to see the supporting characters of the Batman universe shine, and uh, you know, sometimes even more so than Batman. I think Batman has such a great great group of characters that i think giving them the chance to shine you know you know honestly this story was just as much harvey's story as it was batman's story mm-hmm. so i think that you know i think it's completely fine i mean detective is is a good series to have a focus on batman and his relationship with the gcpd and if that's harvey or jim gordon you know put jim gordon you know in in the mix too if he comes back after eternal and lead him into you know dealing with more of the detective stuff even though he's the commissioner make him you know wanting to solve more crimes too i mean who can forget you know snyder's run on uh you know detective comics with the black mirror and how he was basically trying to solve cold cases in his off time I think that's a really cool aspect of Jim Gordon. I think that that's is something that he would do. So, I mean, more focus on the characters that we know, build up some more of these other characters that, that we've been introduced to in Eternal that are part of the GCPD. Obviously, we're going to be getting more of a focus on the GCPD with this new series, Gotham by Midnight, mm-hmm. because of they're going to be focusing on the Midnight Shift with all of these characters out of the GCPD. Jim Corrigan's going to be part of the GCPD. So, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing what they've got, but I think that, honestly... You know, if Eternal runs its course and 
you know, uh, Manipul and Bucciolato decide, you know, they don't want to do anything with Harvey, I think somebody else should pick it up and maybe Harvey, you know, maybe Harvey has some sort of conflict and then moves over to the Midnight Shift 2 and somehow his partner becomes Jim Corrigan. That would be an interesting combination too, the two of them together. But I mean, Harvey is a unique character. I mean, there, I mean, you look at the character, you, you think of, I mean, every time I, I read him, I, I'm thinking of him from the Batman the Animated Series. That's how I listen yeah. to his voice when I mm-hmm. hear it. And I mean, this has been great. This has been a great story focusing on him. So I think more Harvey's never a bad thing. Yeah. And I think that with is, is, I agree with all that. With as many bat titles as we have with, and I don't mean just ones with Batman. When, when you have, you know, uh, Red Hood and, and the new, the new one, the Gotham by Midnight, Batwoman's book. Uh, well, I know she's got, she got Maggie in it, but, um, I, I do think that there should be a book where he's the permanent fixture in it, um, as far as the police presence. Uh, so the other thing too to mention to anybody who unfortunately may or may not have, have not got to read it, if you go back and read the Flash number 25, which is the Flash zero year tie-in, it deals with, uh, Barry Allen and Harvey Bullock together during mm. zero year, during zero year. Uh, and it's before Barry is even the Flash. So, but it, it does deal with, with Harvey and his original partner that you hear Batman kind of talk about in this. Uh, like, what'd you do with the partner? So if you want to go back and see where this whole thing started with Harvey and his partner and with Icarus, which is the drug which is involved in it, go back and read Flash number 25 and Zero Year because it kind of is a pre, a prequel to this story very much. So if you enjoyed Icarus, you should really go check that out. Um, but yeah, I, I want, I would like to see Harvey become a permanent, uh, person in one of the books where he was kind of the go-to detective, uh, for sure. Do you ship, uh, Harvey and Detective Yip? I mean, what's going on? Are, does she just want to be his friend? Cause she looks very hurt and he like realizes he made it, he was a jerk and made a mistake. I mean, do you think there's some romantic tension or they're just friends? I, I feel like in some, I don't feel like there's any romantic tension. I think, you know, maybe, I think he, of all people, would probably be the last person to connect the dots if there was any sort of romantic interest on her part. Um, so I don't think that's going to work. But I feel as if, you know, I almost, like, we don't really know a lot about this Detective Yip as, as of right now. Um, who knows? Maybe she, the reason why she's kind of linking herself and forcing herself to be partners with Harvey is because she knows that, you know, despite Harvey's, you know, problems and issues with certain things he is a good detective and she wants to be you know maybe she wants to learn from him or maybe she you know she thinks that i mean this is probably on the opposite side of you know necessarily you know the right way but maybe she's looking at it from her perspective of that maybe working with him can help further her career you know there's a lot of different ways you can take it but I think the character is also going to be focused on in the future as well. Not as much as Bullock, but I think that she's going to be around for, you know, to, to, to grow as well. I kind of hope that they end up in some kind of, I don't know if they've got to become boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife type deal, but I think that Harvey Bullock with romance is something that we probably haven't seen a lot. And if, if uh, Manipul and Bucciolato really want to kind of take us down a path of making Bullock a more truly realized character, I think that that would be good. Plus, remember, they went out of the way to show us Harvey at home feeding all of his cats by himself. You yeah. know? Like, it's obvious the guy's a little lonely, so I think maybe a little romance might take some of the uh, the rough edge off Harvey. So, yeah, I think it'd be, a, it'd be a great thing. I'm all for it. All right. So, Detective Comics number 35, I'm going to give three and a half out of five batterings. Uh, four out of five. 
I'm going to agree with Ed and say a four out of five. And over on the website, Corbin Poole gave it three out of five, so that's going to give Detective Comics number 34 a total of three and a half out of five batarangs. Let's move into our next book, Batman Eternal number 18. Batman Eternal number 18, written by Tim Seeley, art by Andy Clark. Uh, the issue starts off uh, basically back in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, where we see a boy who was working at the factory basically dumping a, a wheelbarrow full of what appears to be Batman action figures he calls Mr. Vampire Hero. Um, the One of the henchmen or guys who are running the factory uh, say, you, you're going to clean it up, get up, you're, you, need, you need to stop being lazy or you're going to spend a day in the break room. Um, that we then see... Batgirl, Batwoman, and Red Hood take out that guy and ask the boy some questions. They find out that there's a man inside and uh, basically Batwoman and Batgirl resolve their issues by saying they're cool with each other. They don't have any main problems. Back at Gotham City, we see Jason Bard kind of flexing his GCPD muscle, looking around. Batman's kind of watching him to see you know, if he's doing what he's doing because he's a good guy or if he's doing what he's doing to become the next commissioner. Um, we see a person who has a little girl named Jade and he, she appears to be injured or he appears to be injured. Uh, Jason Bard, he starts running. He says something about he needs to get down into the sewers. Jason Bard tries to stop him. Um, and then he disappears into the sewer. Jason Bard, uh, appears to kind of chase him down with his gun drawn, uh, Batman stops him and says, you need to, you need to relax. There's some people who live in the sewers who are protected. That's why they're going down there. They go into the sewers together. Um, you know, Batman kind of sends Jason away, but Jason insists that he must go with. Um, after they find the man who is carrying the little girl, his face has been bitten off and Bard is convinced that it was Killer Croc who did this. Um, Killer Croc then appears and says, I'm not a cannibal. I don't do this stuff. I was protecting these people. I need to find Jade. Bard seems to be kind of like the typical cop here, assuming that Croc is the bad person. He's the one who did all this, tries to pull his gun, but ends up pulling a uh, old boot out of the water instead of his gun, and Croc goes after him. Batman stops Croc and says, listen, I know it wasn't you. I know it's... There's a, there's a black handprint on the wall leading them to believe that it is in fact somebody else. At Blackgate Penitentiary, J- Jim Gordon is taking a shower. He has his own special time to take a shower, just like Falcone and Oswald Cobblepot because of, you know, the fact that they could end up getting shanked in the shower, so they get their own time. Uh, after Gordon comes back to his cell, his cellmate says he's made a friend with one of the uh, guards and Gordon says, listen, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that's a good thing just because someone believes I shouldn't be here. We then see someone making a sign that, uh, we see fishnut face in the weight room. Uh, it appears that, uh, somebody's making some symbols that, uh, Falcone is going to be in trouble. Back at the Batcave, Alfred is telling Batman that he has some maps of the sewer system. Batman insists that he's with Killer Croc and they don't need any help because Killer Croc knows his way around. Back in Brazil, we see the the children making a bunch of more action figures. Red Hood, Batwoman, and Batgirl decide that the best measure here is not to go with Red Hood's method or Batgirl's method, but to go with whatever Batwoman says. 
Uh, Batwoman kind of sides with Batgirl. Red Hood sighs and, and decides that, uh, he's going to try to do his own thing. It doesn't end up working. Batgirl ends up finding the guy who got the facial surgery. And as it turns out, he has some sort of hypnotic ability. He, in turn, hypnotizes Batgirl. Um, just as we see the other people, uh, we, we see Red Hood and Batwoman, uh, about to take everything else. Batgirl goes to attack the two of them under the hypnotic control. Next, Gang War Riot. Eternal number 18. Uh, just a couple things here. Alright, so the th- interesting thing is, do you think that it's a little interesting that Killer Croc and Batman seem to, you know, kind of call it true so quickly? Um, I, I don't really want to talk about Bard because Bard was kind of, like I said, just the typical cop there assuming Killer Croc is the bad guy. He's the one who's doing the stuff. Um, but Batman kind of comes to the aid of Killer Croc and Killer Croc decides to help out Batman and Bard so that they can all try to find this, this girl Jade. Um, do you think it's interesting that Killer Croc, you know, decidedly decides to call a truce with Batman so quickly? Batman, has a reason to call a truce because he is fully understanding of how the sewer, you know, the sewer works and who Killer Croc is in the hierarchy of all of it. But do you think it's interesting that Killer Croc does, you know, call a truce so quick? Um, I, I, I think that it was almost necessary. I mean, what's the old the enemy of my enemy is my friend type deal? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that this is is a, is a clear case where they're both on the same side. Um, plus, I mean, Croc's been developed a little bit more in the New 52. Um, if you remember the, the Batwoman arc with him in it, you know, he was kind of that de facto protector of that group of people. So I think I can live with the fact that this truce comes along quickly for a couple of reasons. One, Croc knows he's not the bad guy. and He's down there trying to accomplish something totally different. And Batman sees the evidence and, and clearly knows that, that Croc also isn't responsible. So I think that although it's, it's a quick resolution, I think there's enough kind of uh, sideline evidence here that makes the quick resolution make make perfect sense for it. Yeah, I agree. And I, I feel like it's completely in Batman's character and off-panel land for him to have caught up on the things that happened while he was away when, when all the bad guy, when Villains Month and all that stuff was happening, and to know... I guess it was more than Villains Month, but you know, forever evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever that stuff was. Get your um, mega event straight. I, well, you know what? They all blend <laughs> together at a certain point, to be honest. Um, that and, is extremely true. And, and to, you know, to know that Bane, what Bane was doing and what Croc was doing. So I think, you know, when I actually really liked the scene when, when Croc was accusing him and, which is like something very weird, right? Why would this villain very much want Batman to be there? But, but at one point you just really see them on the same side and they may be working towards the same purpose to a certain extent, but they have like different means, but they're just like very different characters. And, and I'm glad that, you know, that one scene where Batman's telling him, look, look at this black handprint. You know, I just think I'm glad we have this killer croc because if it were like the killer croc in Batman, the animated series where he says, you know, I hit him with a rock. It was a big one. Uh, it would never have worked, but it seems like we've got this intelligent character. And even though he is beastly, he's He's got this heart and, um, you know, yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting and something you wouldn't expect to see, but, uh, I, I think it's just, a an awesome departure and something that, 
can lead to good storytelling. Now, with that said, I, I can see after all of this being done that he tells him to get the hell out of the sewers, but, uh, and let him have his own work. But for right now, I think that they need to have a truce to, to accomplish what needs to be done. Frankly, I think, yeah, Jason Barr being there is like, I don't think he needs to be there at all. He's just like this character that's not really doing anything. And it's just potentially maybe putting him more into the pie of, of the different things that's happening. So whatever happens, ultimately he, he will have had his finger in all sorts of pies, but you know, he didn't really add to this sort of storytelling here. Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about is kind of the relationship between Red Hood and Batgirl, but bef- I wanted to save that for the next issue because it delves a, l- a lot more into that. However, I do want to just briefly mention that Batwoman and Batgirl put their differences aside and then in some ways kind of like team up against Red Hood, Jason Todd, just, you know, to get the point across that maybe they have a better idea. Though the one thing that I, I kind of wanted to talk about uh, specifically relating to Red Hood and Batgirl for this issue is the comments that Jason makes. Uh, the fact that uh, Red Hood is told to cover Batwoman and Batgirl only if they need it, and that he ends up doing one thing, and Batwoman questions, says, what part don't of cover us don't you understand? And he says, well, I'm, I'm modifying the plan, but then we follow Batgirl. Batgirl doesn't need cover. Those guards are no match for her, not even close. Mm-hmm. None of us, Robins, were ever as good as Batgirl. We knew it. It drove us all crazy. She's got the legs of a ballerina and the brains of a librarian. But it, but that's not all. It was never, it never was Batwoman. I think it was because she didn't do what she does for revenge, not like old dead Nightwing or me. Uh, she does it, she doesn't fight for some ghost, she fights for someone alive. So I thought that that was a really interesting thing that really, in my opinion, really hasn't been focused on outside of, you know, you know, from another character outside of Barbara Gordon's like immediate character lineup. Um, but I think it's interesting that one, he has no problem admitting that Batgirl is better than him. He has no problem saying that she in every way possible is doing it for a completely different reason than everybody else who's doing this. And I think it's, it, in some ways it's kind of weird to see that, you know, that, that sort of like, not a reveal because it's not really revealed. It's something we've seen before and we know this about the character, but it's interesting that they focused it on it in a book like this, when you would expect something like this to be focused on something else. You know, I w- will be the first to admit that I, when we were reviewing Gail Simone's run on Batgirl, we complained a lot about it. And, you know, there were, and one of the reasons we stopped covering the book was because it just didn't feel right to us. And this is a perfect reason of why it didn't feel right. The fact that she isn't doing it for revenge, that she is doing everything she does for someone alive, it that's the way the character is. So she shouldn't be in the same mindset of every other back character, not Dick Grayson, not Tim Drake, not Jason Todd, not Bruce Wayne. She shouldn't be in the same mindset. She shouldn't be this violent character that we've seen in Gail Simone's run. So when there's people out there who claim that, you know, I'm hugely negative when it comes to Barbara Gordon and I, I give too much crap to Gail Simone, even though I feel like I haven't really done it for a while. That's because that's, that's the character that, you know, is Barbara Gordon, not the character that we've been seeing in the pages of Batgirl. So that's why we gave her so much flack. I just want to point that out and any comments or 
at this point are open. Well, isn't this kind of, but that's the thing with Batgirl, right? Like all the other Robins, like I, I like Jason's kind of, um, you know, she could always beat us up type deal because the Robins were always started off as sidekicks and evolved into their own, their own hero. But Batgirl, I know that we had some, you know, you talk about origin, but Batgirl for the longest time has been her own type hero, really. Even with Stephanie Brown, who she was her own hero with her own support group. So mm-hmm. although she's been obviously a close part of the Bat universe, she's always been her own independent hero, not a quote unquote a, a sidekick with Batman there to, to bail her out all the time. So I think that the, the comments are, are, are true, but obvious. And maybe Jason could have texted to Gail Simone a couple months ago or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> may, may have saved us some time in creator shifts, but no, I think, I think he makes a good point. Um, and I wonder too, if this wasn't almost a little bit of a revolution or a little kick from, from the guys that work together, right? Writing eternal, because it's, it, to me, it says something pretty clear to be honest with you. Yeah. I do have a couple problems with, um, the dialogue, uh, before like I get into all that, but just the fact that she says, ha ha, you think he's, uh, he sent you to rein me in? And we already established that. So I don't know why they're bringing this back because remember a couple ep- uh, issues ago, you know, Jason Todd explained and she was very hurt. So I don't know why she's revisiting this and then saying, no, no, you're very wrong. As if well, that conversation never happened. I think it's because happened. it's a different writer. Okay. That's probably Yeah. Why. So that's just a, a minor mistake. Um, I also have a problem again with that ballerina business because again, hello, she was originally a gymnast. I wish we could get back to that. It bothers the heck out of me. Yeah. I, uh, I love this. I, I love the fact that they, like give some positive aspects to her and, and really almost define the character in a way that she hasn't in the new 52. And I think people may get a little, um, they may bristle a little bit. The fact that it says none of us Robins were ever as good as Batgirl. And I feel like it's not meant if they were to say like physically good, I, I think that yes, even I would have a problem with that because I think that she may not be as skilled as, uh, Damien or, or Dick, but I think it's like everything with, with everything that she does and, and just her, her manner and her attitude and how she goes out and defends people and, and the work she does inside and outside of the costume. And, uh, it's just great to hear, you know, him talk so highly of her. And I, I do also wonder just about the fact that he uses the past tense. He says, I think it's because she didn't do what she does for revenge, but she did it. She did it or. Yeah, I just wonder why he used the past tense there instead of like she does fight because it's obviously right now about Jim Gordon and I wonder what it was in the past. You know, maybe just she fights for everyone that's alive. So I, I kind of wanted more clarification on that because he goes from past tense that she didn't do it for revenge. She did it for some other reason. And obviously well, now, yeah, but maybe, maybe the reason for that is because in some ways, Maybe she's doing it for revenge right as they're speaking because she's trying to not necessarily take revenge because someone died, but maybe because someone has framed her father for, mm-hmm. you know, this horrible thing. Maybe that's why it's phrased like that. Okay. I gotcha. Yeah. I'm, well, if she's doing it for revenge now, then I would contradict a statement that she, she doesn't need backup because then she's in a completely different mindset. But, but I do love the fact that it's all focused on her father and perhaps it should be past tense and it was always about her father. Because if you think about it, she originally, you know, she designed her, co- let's not think about New 52, but she originally designed her costume, 
Um, yes, she, she knew about Batman, but it was, you know, she really respected her father and what he did. And, and she wanted to sort of get at his goat a little bit and, and do this. And then in the end, she, she ended up sticking with it. So he had a big part in her life as a crime fighter. So perhaps it should be did all along and, and does because everything she did was for him and just his respect and, and, um, believing in what he believed in. But yeah, it's just great that we took the time out to talk about Batgirl and, and give her mad props. But uh, you wonder why it's in Eternal. <laughs> exactly. All right. So Batman Eternal number 18, I'm going to give this one three and a half out of five bed rings. Three out of five. I'm going to give it a... Um, a four out of five. And there was something I forgot to say about the Batwoman because when you said, you know, they lay aside whatever problems. I remember that issue now where all of a sudden Batwoman comes and she starts beating they get into that whole fight. And I think perhaps the writers like the readers have just forgotten about that as well. They should, because this seems like there's nothing there at all. There's no hatchet, but I do wonder why Batwoman's there at all. I think that's something that's not really been yeah, explained. I don't think I don't think they have it really explained why she's there because it was never even shown that she was told, "Okay, go to Brazil and deal with this." She just kind of did this on her own. And again, I just question because we've been told over and over that she's not really a part of the core Bat family. So why would she be told maybe by Batman? Anyways? The whole, maybe this is the whole idea. She they did show her being radioed. Just like everybody else after all, during Eternal, uh, towards the beginning, when Batman put everybody on high alert because of everything that was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, she, so she was shown there, but maybe the whole idea is with, with this story is she went to do this on her own because Batman didn't do this or didn't assign her. She, you know, happened to run into these two and the whole idea is to build a, a better relationship between her and some of the other supporting characters of the Bat family. So yeah. that way she is brought into the fold more so after Eternal. Maybe that's one of the, you know, one of the plans with the character. Mm-hmm. Plus there's been some involvement of Maggie in Eternal too, which would, you know, she's been in a couple of things. So yeah. you, you would think, you would think that, you know, at the very least, Maggie would be able to communicate, you know, how bad things have gotten with, with her as well. Yeah. yeah. All right. So over on the website, Corbin gave it three. So Batman Eternal gets a total of, or Batman Eternal number 18 gets a total of three and a half out of five bed ranks. Let's move into our last book, Batman Eternal number 19. Written by Tim Seeley, art by Emmanuel Simone. The issue starts off right back in Brazil. We see from Batgirl's perspective, she's viewing Jason Todd as the Joker and Batwoman as James Jr. And she's under hypnotic control, some sort of mind control device. Batwoman points out that it's something similar to what Jervis Tetch, the Mad Hatter, has used, but it's but Jason Todd is quick to say it's knockoff Mad Hatter technology. So Jason Todd decides he's going to go against Batgirl while Batwoman goes to try to take out the the uh, the guy who's basically controlling her. Uh, back in the sewers of Gotham City, we see Killer Croc, Jason Bard, and Batman sifting through the sewers. They come to what appears to be the uh, main room or chamber of King Croc, and uh, they show he shows some some this cage that has a bunch of reanimated corpse. Um, their skin balloons filled with pure evil, and when he killed them, the evil goes back to their home. 
crazy, crazy stuff. But then again, it could deal somewhat what we've seen in the pages of Ray Fox's run with the stuff that's been happening in Eternal as well. We then see Jason Bard come across some police uh, uniforms slash badges and things like that. Um, he, you know, he's kind of taken back. We see Batman saying, we have to keep moving forward, Croc, let's go. Uh, at Blackgate Penitentiary, there's a gang war that has broke out. Uh, Jim Gordon f- sees the uh, warding and she says, listen, there, we, we we're stuck in here for right now. If the electricity, if they take out the electricity, we're screwed. So you need to get yourself safe because I don't think any, you'll be one of the first people dead if, uh, if they get in here. So, uh, we find out that this all started because fishnet faced man, uh, <laughs> he got killed by one of Falcone's guys. There's a giant turf war that's broken out between Falcone. Gordon's trying to figure out how this has happened, but it turns out ever since the events that occurred with the Arkham breakout, I guess they're referencing the events of Forever Evil, uh, Blackgate has been overrun and overpopulated, and there's it's basically been just, you know, biding its time to something like this was actually going to happen. Um it has happened because a number of the people from Falcone and Penguin's gangs are all in the prison at the same time. Uh, that being said, they know that the, that, uh, Cobblepot and Falcone are in solitary confinement and whoever, whatever gang gets to them first is someone's gonna end up dying. So Gordon says he's more concentrated on saving the guards. Meanwhile, in Japan, we see Red Robin talking with Sergey about uh, Harper's skills and how she's basically this, you know, technology guru. Uh, then at one point we see uh, Sergey saying, "Listen, uh, time. It, it seems like she needs to get some training." And uh, it turns out Harper actually overhears the conversation the entire time and says to Red Robin, "So when do we start, Winged Weenie?" Uh, we then see back in Brazil, Batgirl beating the crap out of Jason Todd. Uh, it doesn't seem like he has really any shot here. Uh, he decides that he's going to kind of try to appeal to her, her, you know, her emotions and starts telling her a story about the time that he first met her, um, way long ago. And, uh, meanwhile, we see Batwoman t- going to take out the main guy. Um, he tries to use his hypnotic abilities on her, but she doesn't have it because she's got a, a thing built into her cowl that prevents stuff like that from being able to get to her eyes. But she decides to spray this guy with Scarecrow's Fear Toxin, becoming a uh, red-haired devil, as uh, the as the, the the man says. Uh, he then says, in 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 the process of her talking and him freaking out, looking at this flaming skull in front of him, he says, "No, devil, please don't be angry. I did what you asked. I made the policeman see what you want, uh, wanted." So implying that he, in fact, did control Jim Gordon. Jim Gordon isn't going crazy. Uh, that being said, uh, back with Batgirl and Red Hood. Uh, basically, the the whole idea is that uh, the story that Jason Todd is telling Batgirl is talking about the fact that uh, after dinner one night, they were all introduced 
she, you know, they were introduced and, uh, she said something to Jason Todd that said, you'll never be Dick Grayson. And he reminds her that he, she has the photographic memory. You must remember everything that happened that day. Uh, and then he says, I only remember what's important, like the day I met Batgirl. And then she, the hypnotic thing breaks on her. She realizes that she's actually going after him. Uh, we then see Batwoman helping some people out of the clutches of this guy. He decides to, what appears to be, jump through some sort of window or something. The glass smashes and we see Jason and Batgirl get a phone call from Batwoman saying, you know, do you have him under control? Back at Blackgate Penitentiary, the Penguins men are deciding if the guards should die or if they should live. They're, you know, they're completely, you know, at a disagreement whether or not they should kill him or let him live. Uh, Gordon actually does some sort of distraction to take out a bunch of them. Uh, and then we cut to Beneath Arkham Asylum where we see this man who, or a woman in some sort of black hood, um, Ha, who has the girl Jade at, and, uh, he's basically appears that he's telling that, uh, you'll have to do, um, they, they, they need to, he needed a pure soul or they needed a pure soul and it's hard to come by, but she'll do. Um, and then they, they, they say that, uh, they see who's coming and Killer Croc, Jason Bard and Batman, decide they're going to go headfirst into hell as the next issue teases. Batman Eternal number 19. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is, in fact, the relationship between Batgirl and Red Hood. The fact that Jason Todd decides to use that story to kind of snap Barbara out of that mind control. What did you guys think of that? Um, I mean, I, I liked I, I, It was pretty... I, I kind of like the way it was handled, um, as opposed to the typical method of hitting somebody hard over the back of the head, you know? Um, I kind of like this, this method of of how it kind of ended up. Um, I have to admit, I I don't know why, but for whatever reason, I didn't get it until it was almost, the scene was almost done. Um, I didn't understand what was going on, which it was no fault of the narrative, because when I I reread it, it was, it was pretty clear what was going on, but for some reason, the first time I read it, I, I just, I totally zoned out on it. Um, but no, I liked it. I, I thought it was kind of a more intelligent way to do that. And it kind of spoke to the, the intelligence of, of Barbara that he would be able to get through to her on an, on a, on an intelligent level as opposed to having to, to beat sense into her. So I thought considering the characters that were involved, it was, uh, it was a good way to handle it. Yeah, I certainly agree. Um, and I wonder. The, the only problem I have with it is I understand it, sh- it should be a poignant moment. Uh, the first meeting of each, like this is the first time Babs met Jason and it's the first time that Jason met Babs. But the fact is that the story is centering on Dick Grayson and the fact that she felt, you know, she, she saw disappointment. She saw, as it says, betrayal, um, as she looked at Jason, that Jason was taking this spot. And so I wonder, was it the moment of her remembering this interaction with Jason Todd and remembering him? Or was it like the emotion because she thinks that Dick Grayson is dead? What was it that actually snapped her back. Um, so it's a little ambiguous for me. Perhaps it shouldn't be and it should just be straightforward, but I almost wish it would have been a moment that 
had not been involving Dick Grace. And I think it's totally in character that she would have looked at him in that way, which is very sad. But, you know, she she really liked Dick Grayson as Robin. But it, it just stinks that it couldn't have been a moment focused on Jason Todd so she could have remembered that and not remembered Dick Grayson. But, um, but I do like that there was a story. It had to have been something that they both were witness to and it had to have been something that was, uh, memorable or else she would not have snapped out of it. And, and it's a nice little moment at the end where she says, Oh, Jason and, and they hug and it's the fighting is over. All right. And then the other thing I, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to skip the talk about Killer Croc because I have a feeling that whatever's going to happen in the next issue is going to be more focused on, you know, the events of what happened, you know, what's starting to happen here. Uh, I kind of want to go back to Japan where Red Robin and Harper Row are. Uh, the fact that Sergei says that, uh, you know, she has a lot, she has quite the aptitude for the impossible and that, uh, some of the stuff that she has created is, is sometimes in, in most cases better than some of the stuff that Batman's done. Um, he says, but she'll need a lot of training. And he says, as you did, the question is simply, I have asked myself so many times, are you up for it? Red Robin says, yeah, but is she? And then, of course, we get her response, yes, uh, of course I am. Um, why don't we start? Um, so it's what's interesting to me is it almost feels like, based off of this interaction with the two of them going to Tokyo, that Red Robin could actually be the one who brings her into the mix and not necessarily Batman, which could be a unique twist considering, I mean, outside of Tim Drake not being involved with the Bat family outside of, you know, the beginning of Eternal, we, you know, it, it'd be interesting to have him, you know, just have these few rare, you know, occurrences that have occurred with her and then we see him as the one who actually brings her into the mix. That could be a unique thing. I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on, you know, the possibility of that happening or if you guys think something else is possible. I think that we're at the part with Harper Rowe now that she's already – well, we know she's going to have as Bluebird, but I think that the introduction will probably be done by Tim when he gets back. But I think that with the backstory with, with Batman already, there won't be this big fight. You know, because think about normally when somebody brings somebody in – Biggest problem is Batman doesn't trust him, but he has enough backstory now. Because think about it, this is going to have to happen pretty quickly. She's going to have to come back, get established as Bluebird, get her own costume, blah, 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 and be up and ready to go in, what, two months of Eternal? You know? So we don't have this kind of time anymore where we've got a year or two to play with it. I mean, we've got a couple of months of Eternal to get her up and in costume. So I think that after this little thing in Japan, Tim's going to bring her back, they're going to get her in costume, and this is going to move down the road real fast. So... Uh, yeah, I'm okay with Tim kind of bringing her back and, and Bruce with a, his previous relationship kind of blessing her and moving forward because we are running out of time. So is Tim Drake the actual Batman that we saw? I don't think he's tall enough. <laughs> I, I don't think <laughs> so either, do but it, it, it does lead the question of maybe something happens and Tim Drake takes on the role of Lorik. Maybe that's who it is. Yeah. But who knows? Um... Wow. Well, I also wonder just the way that interaction goes. My goodness, is he about to train Harper Row? Because I feel like he's going to do something on his own before bringing it to Batman. Because I don't know if he necessarily trusts Batman to like say yes right away. And I almost wonder if he's going to train her to the best of his ability so that she's like 75% of the way there, maybe 50 or 60. And then bring her over to Batman for him to 
you know, really plead the case and, and have some, some proof to the, the pudding and, and ask him to add some more ingredients and make it ready to go. Uh, but that, I feel like we're, we're getting, we're gearing up for some sort of like spoiler Tim Drake, uh, you know, back then because, um, it's tough to train and be a leader with someone around your age, whereas it's easier for Batman. Um, so to see the interaction, I mean, she already has some attitude with him. So to see or to think about Tim Drake trying to train Harper would be very interesting. But uh, I think it would be great for him to bring her into the fold. But I also think that Batman and everyone's relationship with Batman is not where it should be. So I hope that gets better before he tries. It's kind of like when like one of your parents is upset and you're, you want to ask them for something, you potentially go to the other parent or you wait until that one parent is happier and then you go ask them. And I think right now Batman's not in a good state to accept another person. So, you know, along with the timeline Ed said, I, I think we just have to get to a good and more normal spot with the Bat family before he can bring someone new in and trust her. Yeah, I agree. All right. So with that, Batman Eternal number 19, I'm going to give this one four out of five batterings. Three and a half out of five, and I really, really, really like the cover. Uh, yeah, I would agree. The cover is great. I had a problem with the art, um, and I guess it just all starts off with that. Number one, there's like blood everywhere on all of the pages, just like... I think the artist went into um, paint and decided to use the, the paintbrush and put, you know. And I don't understand why Red Hood's mask is very black. I understand shading, but to that level, I don't know. So I don't like the art as much. And I just think the whole Killer Croc thing, that with that, I was somewhat confused. And it was just very weird. So I hope that it gets cleared up. So I'm going to give it a 3 out of 5. All right, so Batman Eternal number 19 gets a total of 3.5 out of 5 Batarangs. That is all of our books. Let's go over some of the other Bat books that were reviewed over on the website. Outside of the books that we already mentioned, Grayson number 2 got 4 out of 5 Batarangs. Batwing number 34, which was the final issue, received 2.5 out of 5 Batarangs. And Batman 66, chapter number 40, received 4.5 out of 5 Batarangs. So be sure to check all those reviews from Corbin over on the website. Uh, so be sure to check those out and leave comments on those reviews. If you agree or disagree or leave your rating in the comments, comment section on those reviews. In addition to that, that is everything for this episode. I just want to do a couple of small little announcements. Uh, we have decided what we are going to do for the month of September. Uh, we will not be specifically reviewing and recapping uh, each individual Batman-related Futures End issue. We will be doing a small recap of the, the issues as they come out, similar to what we did with Grayson number one and Nightwing number 30. If you remember what we did, we just kind of briefly talked about them um, and left it at that. We didn't really give them ratings. We just kind of talked about it, pointed out some of the more important things that happen in each issue. Um, outside of that, uh, for the month of September, we do have five issues of each or four issues, I should say, of Eternal releasing. So we will be covering Eternal and then as well as the news, so we will release every two weeks as normal. There'll just probably be much shorter episodes. Outside of that, I do want to just tell you about a couple of different things. Uh, first off, if you haven't checked out the new website, I suggest that you ha- you do. It's beautiful. And yes, it is beautiful. Uh, thanks to Ed 
and for putting or for being the main driving force behind that. But outside of it looking beautiful, it has been up now as you're listening to this for about two weeks. But what I would like to know from the the fans who are going to the website is if there's anything that one you see that we did wrong or you see that we could do better. Uh, please, at, at the bottom of every page, there's a little contact us button. Click that, and you will see exactly where to send your emails to. We'd love to hear your opinions on the new website, whether you like it, whether you dislike it, whether you'd like to see something different or more focus on something specific. Be sure to send us your your comments, and we'll, we'll look into those. In addition to that, we're also still looking for a number of staff members to report specific news areas of the website, movies, TV, Video games and merchandise are still open areas as far as uh, we're looking for news reporters for those areas. Um, also, if you're interested in reviewing any Bat books, Corbin does a great job of reviewing them. But honestly, with the amount of books that Corbin covers, eventually Corbin is not going to be able to cover as many books as he has been. So if you're interested in picking up any some of the books and maybe sharing some of the responsibility with Corbin, be sure to email us as well. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, as well as joining our Facebook group to chat with other Bat fans about all the stuff originating from the BatmanUniverse.net. Be sure to leave us reviews on iTunes as well. I, I happen to notice that it's been quite some time since we've reviewed, we've gotten any reviews on iTunes. The last one was in May. So if you have some time and you've been listening for a while, Please leave us a review on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. Be sure to check out all the other podcasts that we have to offer on the website, including the Batman Universe podcast, which has returned. Um, we also have new episodes of Back of the Oracle, Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake, as well as Bat Fans. Be sure to check out all those, as well as everything else we have to offer on the website. Uh, you may have noticed that there's a new release schedule for some of those. We used to release everything on Friday. Now the episodes are releasing on different days of the week. Just be honestly, just be sure to check all the website all the time for the latest episodes from the Batman universe. Um, outside of that, that is everything. You can always email us by checking out that contact us link at the bottom of the page with any questions, comments, or concerns. Be sure to leave comments on the actual individual podcast post over on the website for this episode. And with that, that is everything. This is Dustin. This is Ed. And this is Stella. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in two weeks.